Eager to make more informed decisions around crypto using data you can trust? Chainalysis demystifies cryptocurrency by providing industry-leading compliance, market intelligence, and investigation support for all crypto assets for organizations like Gemini, Crypto.com, and BlockFi. Maximize your potential with the leading blockchain data platform by visiting Chainalysis.com slash the scoop now. This episode is brought to you by IWC. IWC Schaffhausen is a Swiss luxury watch manufacturer based in Schaffhausen, Switzerland. Known for its unique engineering approach to watchmaking, IWC combines the best of human craftsmanship and creativity with cutting-edge technology and processes. Discover the full collection at IWC.com or download the IWC app to experience a virtual try-on now. All opinions expressed by hosts and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and not necessarily those of the blocks. Podcast guests may have taken positions in the assets or other matters discussed in this podcast. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. For full terms, visit theblockcrypto.com slash terms dash service. Hi, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Scoop. I'm your host, Frank Chaparro, editor-at-large at The Block. And today joining us on the show is my guest, Dante Desparte, Chief Strategy Officer and Head of Global Policy at Circle. Dante, I feel like Circle is probably, you know, you've been having way too much fun. You're a policy wonk in a company that probably has taken the regulatory environment, being in D.C., having a presence among the regulators and political glitterati more seriously than probably any any company. I mean, Jeremy Allaire and you are basically at every type of hearing. You're, you're just totally plugged in. So I'm keen and excited to get your take on, on everything that's going on. Obviously, Circle is the firm behind USDC one of the largest stable coins on the market. We've had Jeremy on the show before to unpack some of your business initiatives. You came to Circle with decades of experience as an entrepreneur, business leader, member of the World Economic Forum's Digital Currency Governance Consortium. And of course, you were, you definitely had a lot to do with DM, and that's kind of where you kind of got into the stablecoin scene to an extent. How have you been? Very good, Frank. Well, first of all, it's great to be on air with you and not only be an admirer of what you're doing and your program, but also now sort of share a virtual stage with you. Yeah, this is such a treat. And we always probably get into too much fun. So we'll have to audience forgive <laughs> us if you're like, what are they even talking about? Where do they go? How did they digress that far? But that's what it's all about. So listen, I tweeted last night and I was kind of musing. I'm trying to do Twitter less because it's becoming way too distracting for me. But last night I tweeted, you know, a lot of focus is being paid to the specific like platforms that facilitate crypto trading. So we saw Coinbase reportedly is uh, being probed to some degree for listing securities and 
even since like I started covering the space, the focus is on these facilitators of trading and whether or not they're breaking some ambiguous law because they're trading securities. But there's not enough focus on the actual projects, like the implications of mm -hmm. specific projects being deemed securities. Forget about Coinbase's of the world. I mean, that mm -hmm. means that these projects have to do quarterly reports and and register with the SEC. And it's just, that would be a mess. Like, I can't imagine what that would look like. Anyway, this is, this is me pontificating ad yeah. nauseum to a degree, but I don't know. You've got your finger on the pulse. What do you think of, of this environment? Yeah, well, so I guess it may be a little bit of a counter narrative, right? That you look at what's going on in the marketplace and you look at this particular crypto winter is deeper, darker and frostier than any we have had since. And, and in a 13 year run at this industry, the interesting thing about it, right, if, if you want to take a slightly Darwinian view, is that these types of market corrections not only are educational for the operators and the builders in the industry and in the world of a circle, uh, underscore the importance of being stable and the importance of sort of fundamentals in your business model. They've also, on the one hand, vindicated some of the concerns regulators have been raising around the world about correlation and excess risk and, and all kinds of market conduct issues. But, but equally, all of these risks and all these headlines and clickbait sort of news stories notwithstanding, I've never been more optimistic about the state of policy and the likely emergence of regulatory clarity across the domain and across the asset class. Now, to me, however, it would, it would produce a failure if, like usual, this crisis goes for overcorrection and overreaction and, and people are a little too heavy-handed. Um, so I, I do think, sadly, the, the end of this year will probably be marked with enforcement action and a little bit more regulation through enforcement. But there's a genuine uh, consensus forming and a bipartisan consensus at that, that the innovation matters, that the innovation is important for evolution in finance, banking, payments, securities, capital markets, commodities, and the entire value chain. But the crypto correction, ironically, has probably done more to weed out bad actors and companies and projects without fundamentals than any regulatory action ever could. And so that's the that's like my my silver lining in the crypto clouds is that I'm very optimistic. And to your point, Frank, I've been in literally every single hearing, every single conversation, every single central bank and other meeting in between about, you know, the future of money and payments and the role of stable coins and, and who can and cannot innovate in finance. And nonetheless, I remain incredibly optimistic about the current state of play. Yeah, I think stable coins are liked or as beloved as a financial tool can be in D.C. I think people understand it. They think it works. They get it. But when you think about what is maybe less rosy, is there a concern about the degree to which Chair Gensler might be keen to deem far too many assets mm. securities. Is that is that a concern mm. on your radar? Well, it, it is a concern, um, not directly and specifically to stablecoins structured like USDC, which promise nothing more, even in extreme market conditions like these, than dollar utility and dollar parity and a dollar on the way in and a dollar on the way out. However, the concern ultimately 
is the difference between risk and uncertainty is that you can measure risk, price it into your business model, but uncertainty creates doubt and operating errors, right? So, you know, if the message to the market from the country's market regulator is everything in circulation, but a couple could be a security, you guess, that's not a great position to be in. On the other hand, as we saw in 2018 and in the earlier days of this market, a single regulator, the CFTC, starting to create, you know, harmonize national regulatory clarity and legal certainty around Bitcoin um, and Ethereum and sort of the ability to offer a futures market has not only harmonized market conduct, advanced consumer protection standards, and created a cottage industry in which in many ways, despite the lack of national regulatory clarity, the United States is winning this so-called digital currency space race and digital assets race. But notwithstanding the fact that we lack federal clarity across the domain, what I'm encouraged by as well, again, I'm trying to be somewhat optimistic, uh, what I'm encouraged by as well is the fact that there's increasing pressure in Washington and amongst regulators and policymakers and the president's working group on financial markets to call for regulatory swim lanes to be clearer. So the prudential regulators and banking regulators are looking at stable coins as a payment systems innovation. I think the, the SEC and the CFTC sister agencies have had, I think, increasingly constructive public statements and increasingly constructive leadership, such as uh, uh, Chairman Benham and others who are really leaning in very heavily and other, other CFTC commissioners as well have been leaning in very heavily for this type of clarity to exist. Then the key to me is the industry also has to look at itself in the mirror and the market conduct among operators is also on the docket and the responsible actors have to start, you know, in my view, rejecting bad assets, rejecting bad behavior, rejecting internet funny money and, and things in between, lest we want to invite for more overcorrection from Washington. It's funny when you juxtapose 2018 or 2017, those weird ICO days when uh, my favorite meme is the, uh, the, the guy who's like deve chief developer, CEO and um, biz dev. And it's all the same guy with his hair yeah, yeah. kind of, <laughs> <laughs> and it was all these like ICOs, DeFi projects to an extent we didn't have the mm -hmm. word DeFi, but it wasn't the centralized platforms. And in this market, mm -hmm. with the exception of Terra, I guess you could say, the projects themselves have never been more real. And mm -hmm. it's the centralized firms in crypto that are no different than, in many ways, brokers or different types of financial services companies. Someone who's less forgiving might call them shadow banks. Mm. And it's that side of the market that kind of introduced this risk and all this stuff yeah. that, uh, to your point, could and hopefully doesn't lead to some sort of draconian overstep of power or regulatory enforcement. Yeah. And it's it's funny how it's like everyone, you know, everyone's concerned about certain tokens being listed, but no one no one was saying anything, or at least out of DC, about you know these these crazy yields and mm. the amount of risk that was in that corner of the market. Well, there there are a couple of points, right? I mean, one, crypto may not be right for everyone, but everyone's right to participate should be protected. Number one. Number mm. two, don't do with enforcement what can be solved with disclosure. Mm. And I, I and we should put a pin on that word and put a pin on the category of stable and name-only coins. And number three, Terra is teachable for a whole host of reasons, right? That bad behavior 
that would have been similar to the same bad behavior that you saw in 2008 with you know complex financial products that were too complex to explain replicated but now powered by public blockchains and powered by the internet would only produce the same outcomes but perhaps at a faster speed the other really interesting teachable point and this maybe is a message to prudential regulators and people who care about systemic risk and argue that crypto is too complex convoluted interconnected uh, and so on and too risky to legitimize is that notwithstanding the speed with which terra collapsed and we could debate you know all kinds of great and important points about it, it was a very contained financial loss that didn't spill over into the real economy, didn't trigger anything else, uh, I think has had some correlations, obviously, to loss of confidence across crypto and some spillover effects in the market, generally speaking. But, but the availability of trusted liquid alternatives actually proved to be a shield for people who wanted to stay in crypto rather than this requiring a public bailout a la Lehman Brothers, for example. And I think that's important. I, I think the whole point here is about optionality in banking, finance, and the payment systems, uh, not substitution. And this kind of narrative, unfortunately, still lingers of crypto anarchy versus crypto utopia. The middle, the pragmatic domain, uh, frankly, is where we're going to likely end up and likely end up with well-regulated players over the long run that have viable business models. Yeah, um, and your sense is that most policymakers, regulators, and politicians are in that pragmatic bucket. Mm. Well, let me tell you this, right? Again, as you, as you noted at the outset, Frank, if you want a front row seat or the hot seat in any hearing, produce a project with the, the white paper and a tagline reinventing money, and you get invited to all these hearings and summits, right? So Yeah, because they've... They're like more money. How can I? <laughs> right. Well, having had those summons and those and sat in those hearings, uh, what I can tell you is, for all the global discussion about stable coins, the likelihood that a stable coin loss of confidence and run would fall in the category of an algorithmic stable and name only coin was a miss. Right. Even the recent President's Working Group report on financial markets didn't contemplate that category. So that that's one of the challenges that I think we generally have. And one of the reasons I think market conduct among responsible actors in the industry is the best defense. Regulation will always be playing a game of catch up with innovators. But the best defense consumers and markets have are really well regulated, well run operators. And that that's across the entire industry and across the crypto asset value chain. Because you can't regulate many of these innovations out of existence. Many of them aren't even operating by any measure what you would characterize sort of within the regulatory perimeter, even minimally. And so the ability for consumers and market participants to discern and to choose what type of risk appetite they have is going to be really critical because you can't effectively regulate some of these operators out of existence. Yeah, but going back to the D word, careful. <laughs> um, disclosure. Mm. What what does that look like? Like, okay, maybe every all these mm -hmm. tokens can exist as they do and trade where they do. What type of disclosures do you think would be relevant, and mm -hmm. and who would be making them if they're a? Is it the governance? Is yeah. there a disclosure committee within? I don't know <laughs> within the governance community or something. Yeah, it's a, it's a it's a good question. I'm glad you got got us to the D word. At first, I was a little worried. I wasn't sure which D word we were talking <laughs> about. But if it's disclosure, I'll stay on the show. 
Um, <laughs> so as an example, in the stablecoin category, the simplest of market disclosure issues is, is you don't need to go to Washington to figure it out. Mm -hmm. It comes from Jerry Maguire. Show me the money or show me the composition of the assets that back it and that provide it stability. And so if your stablecoin and its basic promise of stability hinges on shit posting on Twitter and, you know, other forms of collateral and minting and burning and incentives that seem skewed and that defy the laws of gravity, physics and finance, then it's very likely you're trading in an instrument that may be anything but stable. I I'm not going to question whether that innovation matters or not. I think fair enough. The whole point of crypto is composability and programmability and new innovation. But the disclosure standard of whatever even a stable coin should be categorized as, uh, I think, has a gap. In Circle's case, we have been doing things with disclosure, trust, transparency, and accountability that supersede the way we are licensed. Mm. You know, today we're licensed in the United States on exactly the level playing field of a PayPal, a Stripe, major payments companies in America. But knowing that part of the expectation of a, of a stable coin like USDC is that you could have trust and transparency and auditability of reserves backing it. We've been doing this since the first USDC was issued, mm -hmm. effectively creating a cottage industry for the accounting firms to provide attestations and proof of reserves. That's not a regulatory requirement today, but it should be. It should be completely harmonized and there shouldn't be this like race to the bottom on you know whose stable coin is better when it should be a harmonized requirement. And so if, if the regulators don't enforce it, of what they're calling payment stable coins, then good actors like Circle can lead by example and create sort of a model of public disclosure and attestations that create confidence. And that, ha that has, frankly, been one of the things that's allowed USDC and Circle to continue growing uh, despite broad turmoil in crypto markets and in the real economy. Yeah. And I mean, it's kind of in the ethos of, of crypto. Let's be as transparent as possible. Mm. There was a report, or there was reporting in the spring that you guys were looking to plot a path to get a U.S. bank charter of sorts. Where does that stand? How does that fit into this story of advancing disclosure and making yeah. uh, USDC safer? Yeah. Well, for one, it's in a hurry-up-and-wait posture in no small measure because as we exited the stablecoin purity war summer of last year <laughs> and entered uh, the fall, it also coincided with the president's working group on financial markets issuing a 23-page report on a whole host of issues, but really focusing specifically on stablecoins. The category matters because a stablecoin is the digital thrift of broader crypto assets markets. And stablecoins like USDC are also building critical bridges, in my mind, between digital finance and real-world economic activity and payments. And so prudential regulators, banking regulators, and others have honed in on stablecoins as the most likely innovation in the crypto markets to reach population-scale utility. Mm -hmm. um, so I think there is an important, and we've always taken that seriously, there's a really, really important series of questions about risks. There's a series of important questions about rewards and opportunities and convergence of business models here. And so for a period of time, the message was, if you need 
bank-like management of bank-like risks, then Circle would go down the path of seeking not a trust charter, which very recently the undersecretary Nellie Liang at the Treasury Department has observed that trust charters might have some gaps in their operating model, particularly related to payment systems risks. So Circle said we would go after this kind of full uh, bank charter. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, the banking regulators have asked Congress to act, which is why the legislative process taking place on the Hill and particularly the work between uh, Chairwoman Waters and Ranking Member McHenry on a sort of stablecoin legislative framework for America, I think really, really, really matters for economic competitiveness, but also for national regulatory clarity uh, of this industry. And so what will that create? Yeah. Well, um, my hope is it would create a series of options for the marketplace, right? Despite, I think, Circle's leadership in this domain, I think it's very important that we continue to enshrine and promote competition and a level playing field in this space. Uh, so we've been advocates of bank and non-bank stablecoin issuance. We've been advocates of complete, unambiguous public reporting and transparency and harmonization of reporting, potentially including real-time reporting, right? If you want to leverage what blockchain technology is all about, to your point, it's the trust engine. It should also then promote transparency and auditability in near real time. And so we've been pushing for um, harmonizing that standard. It should also be very, very clear and set clear standards about what constitutes a payment stablecoin vis-a-vis reserves, right? So in our case, we are dollars, cash, mm -hmm. and U.S. Treasury obligations of three months or less in the American regulated banking system. So USDC ostensibly enjoys the full faith and credit of the American banking system. What it does not enjoy yet but it should, is is the full faith and credit of legal certainty and national regulatory clarity. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's what I hope this legislation uh, addresses. And if it did, it would not only create a level playing field vis-a-vis -vis competition against us, the United States and the world, it would also create a pathway for other operators to innovate in this space and promote interoperability and fungibility and so on, all kinds of big ideas. I put out a series of policy principles that kind of summarize Circle's positions on these issues, uh, but that's what I hope we can address. And, and there's genuine bipartisan support and consensus uh, for this bill. Yeah, which is nice to see. You know, it's rare. Yeah, it's rare. Twice in my career, I've united Washington. <laughs> <laughs> Once in not wanting a certain project to see the light of day, and now on the concept of a well-regulated stablecoin can be an important innovation. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah, that was I mean, I remember going down um, to D.C. for those hearings and it was just so I mean, it's been hot in New York. It's been hot everywhere. But that summer in D.C., I don't know if I just wasn't used to it or because you have to wear a suit. Oh, my goodness. And I was like, how am I the only one that's like drenched in, you know, perspiration? But it was pretty it was intense. I mean, to your point, these people did not want this to happen. And yeah. And in any configuration, which is pretty interesting because you know, even with like let's say even what's going on, you know, behind the scenes with the work you're doing, you give an inch, they give an inch, you kind of you know, yeah. kind of, you know, work together, but any anything, you let's let's try to make it so that maybe we leverage an outside stablecoin within 
Meta, yeah. maybe Diem is not based in Switzerland. We'll put it in the United States. Nothing <laughs> worked. Yeah. Well, and, and those boundaries, Frank, are the real test. I mean, you, you know my background. You know I've spent probably the better part of my career being a quasi-public servant who cares about national resilience and economic competitiveness and global security. Like Those are my passion subjects. Crypto pays the bills today, and a stable coin is one of the ways I can get there. But the fact, for example, that we're drawing big, bright red lines about who can and cannot innovate in a free economy, I think is massively problematic. The other thing that I think is similarly anti-democratic and massively pro problematic is the idea that the only way to keep big tech in check or to keep up with China tech is for the central banks of the world to become retail banks with central bank digital currencies. And so in Austin, another city that was as hot as Hades recently for consensus, Mm -hmm. I was in a fiery debate uh, with Angie Lau, Caitlin Long, and Professor Gray at uh, Willamette University, and I said central bank digital currencies are a preposterous idea. Mm -hmm. I maintain that position, but I think I think the, bre the the better piece of the story, and I hope the legislation that comes out of Congress this year preserves it, is about optionality. And the other thing that really matters is today states are the fintech laboratories in our country. And you want to also preserve that kind of national optionality of state level oversight of innovators in the space while having federal pathways based on risk and based on sort of global competition. Because the stakes are enormously high while the United States is still trying to figure it out. Uh, the Europeans recently passed the markets and crypto assets framework, which could be to crypto what GDPR was to privacy and could create some really troubling transatlantic arbitrage, some gaps between the most important economic trading market on the planet, or the economic trading block between the United States and Europe, you're starting to see this fissure show up in how crypto assets and the crypto economy will be regulated and how it will evolve. So those issues really matter. Are you eager to make more informed decisions around crypto using data you can trust? Chainalysis is here to help. Chainalysis demystifies cryptocurrency by providing industry-leading compliance, market intelligence, and investigation support for all crypto assets for organizations like Gemini, Crypto.com, and BlockFi. Gain unparalleled visibility and maximize your potential with the leading blockchain data platform by visiting Chainalysis.com slash the scoop now. This episode is brought to you by IWC. IWC Schaffhausen is known for continually innovating within the world of Swiss watchmaking. A pioneer in the use of titanium and ceramics, IWC today specializes in highly engineered watch cases manufactured from advanced materials such as colored ceramics, ceritanium, and titanium aluminide. This year's collection includes colored ceramic pieces in Lake Tahoe white and woodland green. Discover the new collection at IWC.com or download the IWC app to experience a virtual try-on now. Well, I mean, to be fair, right? There is an opportunity that USCC could fill the role of CBDC. So there is a benefit to you guys there if a CBDC never sees the light of day or is cast into the dustbin. <laughs> but there's positives and negatives to both. I mean, I do think some people for whatever reason might be uncomfortable with 
a non-government force having such a outsized role in the monetary system, that might be a scary proposition to certain people. At the same time, to many other people, it's just as scary that the government has the current position mm-hmm. that it does today and kind of having this more capitalistic uh, competition mm-hmm. between various forms of sharing value. Um, Jeremy likes to say, um, you know, internet value to an extent. So how do you mollify the concerns of the of the former? Yeah. Well, so my message is this is why the legislation genuinely and sincerely matters, right? That that I think it would have been a failure not only of public policy, but frankly of industry to have not created a level playing field that promotes competition. Technology neutral, risk adjusted, activity based regulation is the is the path for certainty. It's also the path for optionality. And it's also a path, frankly, that will you know, take some of the pressure off central banks and this deep, crazy desire around the world that central banks should become retail banks and give you and me a digital dollar that lives at a device-centric level but may potentially impose all kinds of societal, technological, regulatory, and other problems. And so a circle wants competition, right? In, in the movement of dollar digital currencies, one of our policy principles, for example, is this idea of fungibility a world in which comparably regulated, comparably disclosed, and comparably liquid dollar digital currencies ought to be fungible. That implies that if a bank issues a digital dollar and other operators with different regulatory structures in the United States, perhaps at the state level or the federal level, ought to enjoy a universally acceptable digital currency environment. But I I take the view that the gap between the central bank, the banking system, your wallet, and how you spend money is a powerful feature and not a bug. And the second you start to create a direct line of reference between you and me as citizens, money, and the central banking system, you, you don't have a retail account at the central bank at the Fed. And you probably never should, because it would imply that the Fed is no longer sticking to its core competency of macroprudential policy, monetary policy, and stability. The other policy principle we've called for is that stable coins in the future should have no monetary policy of their own and should perhaps be responsive to monetary policy of their underlying reference currency. Because a lot of the central banks, perhaps rightly, were afraid of distortions. They were afraid of cross-border issues. They were afraid of uh, large offshore stable coins, if you will, uh, that could potentially have spillover effects in the real economy. Those financial stability risks are non-trivial. And I think there's really good ways of having the best of both worlds. I'm a bit disappointed you didn't use this great analogy that you used in an interview with our competitor, Coindesk. Maybe you're not trying to rehash uh, Coindesk (laughs) stuff, but but you said it's the equivalent of the FAA, the Federal Aviation Administration, building jet engines and flying the planes, which I think is fantastic. I think that's just a fabulous (laughs) Well, yeah, I, I want to bring new content to your show, Fred. Yeah. So I'll come up with something even better. I promise. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that no, I mean, but I think I think that really is the point. Like fundamentally, this is not like what are they going to do? What are they going to build the, the wallet? What are they going to 
let me give you my new analogy for you. Okay, and, and maybe because I'm broadcasting from Europe, I'm thinking about trains. <laughs> a central bank digital currency would be the equivalent of building a high-speed train engine, but not caring about the rail network nor the station stops. Mm-hmm. And the real powerful breakthrough of blockchain-based finance is that the infrastructure has networked peer-to-peer station stops. And so one of the reasons policymakers and regulators have been a little reticent to embrace crypto is that the underlying rails, blockchain technology, permissionless open internet infrastructure creates a rail network that is peer-to-peer and, and trust, you know, you and I can trust each other and exchange value with each other through these networks. That's a radical departure from traditional financial markets infrastructure, which is proprietary, favors incumbents, and to the world's regulators is generally understood, but has a lot of inherent vulnerabilities. I think the pandemic laid a lot of those bare. So what are you um, most excited about? What do you think people aren't paying enough attention to? Well, what I'm most excited about, Frank, is often the quizzical question I get in hearings and in policy meetings, right? Which is, you know, if stable coins are usable for payments, where can I go buy a cup of coffee with them, right? So there, there's that kind of incredulity in the question. What I've seen and what Circle has seen and what we're seeing being developed on USDC, frankly, is a bit of a Cambrian explosion in use cases that, that are starting to touch real-world commerce and like persistent real-world economic activity. I'll just rattle off a few examples of convergence, right? Major global merchant acceptance companies like WorldPay, major payments companies like Checkout. We all know about Visa and MasterCard. There's a phenomenal partnership with MoneyGram on the Stellar blockchain, enabling USDC remittances across borders, which critically creates a fiat on and off ramp and sort of FX exchange points for people to pick up a digitally rendered payment that can then be instantly exchanged into cash in in your home country. These are powerful examples that the technology is not about substitution, of traditional players, nor substitution of the traditional banking system, but rather optionality. And so another analogy, would taxis have so prominently accepted credit cards and created their own ride hailing apps if it wasn't for a challenger like Uber or Lyft? And so I think we're seeing that kind of acceleration of faster, better, cheaper payments and movement of money, partly because in no small measure, you know, the crypto innovations are here to stay but responsible actors like Circle have been powering this kind of trusted approach and this underwritten approach to convergence. So that's that's very exciting. Bitso has created a U.S.-Mexico remittance corridor with USDC that has already processed more than a billion dollars. So everything that people thought was very elusive about uh, stablecoin-based payments and economic activity is starting to become very real. Uh, we have to keep the openness, the developer-first model, and we have to promote interoperability and so that means this is about driving responsible competition and innovation and not, you know, building a monopoly. What about as it pertains to Circle specifically? I know you also have a head of strategy hat. Are there any initiatives going on internally that you're excited about? Well, I mean, for one, you're seeing now our second major innovation in addition to USDC, our dollar digital currency, which was the introduction of a euro-based stablecoin, 
Uh, still early days yet, but we think it's really critical. And we think there's a pathway, for example, of making our Euro stablecoin, Euro C, a MICA conforming stablecoin. First, it's backed by Euros and not, you know, cash or dollars and creating FX risk. But second, we want to make sure that it, it's designed in a manner that, that promotes the same level of interoperability and, um, and sort of exchange and activity. So that's a new innovation that's on the market. And so you could envision a world where there's an acceleration of stablecoin offerings supporting different currencies around the world, but designed in a manner like USDC that advance regulatory standards, consumer protections, market conduct, and so on. So I think of that as core, right? As the stablecoin as payment infrastructure for the 21st century. On the margins of that, there's so many critical adjacent innovations we have to catalyze. Decentralized identity, Circle is a major player in the rollout of Verity, a decentralized identity standard. We're really excited to see this start to come to market and being implemented across multiple players in the crypto assets economy. And there's standards around, frankly, protecting integrity and doing a lot of myth busting, not just at the policy level, but at the product level, that, that you can move money onto the internet safely. I think is, is massively important. So you're starting to see a lot of innovations on the adjacent sides of the crypto economy, identity, financial integrity, and so on, I think are really going to be critical to building the ground floor. I still think this is early, right? To us who've been here for a while, we feel like we've been at it forever. I still think we're in the opening innings of what happens when money clashes with software and the internet. I'm sure a lot of countries are probably scared at the prospect or concerned of the prospect of you launching coins tied to their currency, given what happened to the euro after the launch of your euro stablecoin, just completely, not that they're related, but that was kind of the, <laughs> the joke out there. Finally got parody to the dollar, right? You, you guys got in at top. Well, the funny thing is that there was a tweet that went a little viral in which someone said, you know, Circle launches euro stablecoin and they referenced USDC because the euro and the dollar had parody. I think, I think, look, what's happening in the real economy and what's happening in the global economy in some ways demonstrates why digital transformation and technology is so critical. That so much of the way we bank and so much of the way we are exercising global policy, including monetary policy, has hit, in my mind, some degree of a point of diminishing returns. And so we can't keep doing the same things in a world that so deeply needs change and transformation and something to look forward to and expecting different outcomes, right? So uh, I'm a pragmatist and not a utopian, not an anarchist. And I think um, the good news is even on my current trip to Europe and my engagement with European authorities and others is I think there's an increasing warm embrace of responsible actors inside Europe. And I'm hopeful that the rollout of MICA and how certain authorities you know, are approaching attracting companies and developers and investments uh, will prove out that the Europeans are also here to stay when it comes to crypto assets and, and the digital economy. We shall see. Well, <laughs> sir, appreciate you taking the time. Time will tell. Time will tell, as they say. Once again, we've been joined today by our guest, Dante Desparte, Chief Strategy Officer and Head of Global Policy at Circle. Where can our listeners learn more about you, what you're doing at Circle? Have you written anything recently? You're prolific. 
Where can we find more about? Yeah. So, so look, I, I'm available in all the places you would find Circle as one of its officers, but I also, as you said, write a lot, Frank, and have a personal website, first name, last name. Uh, my most recent article that I had fun with was actually written at the request of the Prince of Liechtenstein, Michael von Liechtenstein. And, um, <laughs> and it's about you know, the fact that you and I don't send cross-border emails to each other, mm-hmm. but rather we send emails to trusted counterparties. And so what if, fast forward from today, the idea of a cross-border payment starts to disappear and you're sending money in Thomas Friedman's hot, flat, and crowded world on the internet? You know, USDC is available in 190 countries. And what happens if you connect all those dots for financial access, inclusion, and so on? Um, so that's my most recent piece. But, uh, but there's some fun ones upcoming about central bank digital currencies you might enjoy. Perfect. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thanks again, Frank. Great being on. Ladies and gentlemen, we'll be back with you again with another great guest. Have an awesome day.